This is the Suno India production and you are listening to Cyber Democracy. The COVID-19 pandemic has fastened surveillance on e-platform workers as a public health measure. From body movement tracking to temperature checks, every possible detail about the worker is collected. What purpose will this information serve once the need is resolved? How much technology do we have and how much more do we need? Hi, welcome to Cyber Democracy. I'm Vaishali, a reporter for Suno India. In this episode, our host Srinivas Kodali spoke with Urvashi Aneja, who's the director for Tandem Research. Urvashi works on issues of governance and sociology on emerging technology. This episode is the second of the three-part series, which is based on a webinar conducted by Suno India in partnership with the Internet Freedom Foundation and Youth Kiawas on labor rights to understand employee surveillance post-COVID. These episodes will focus on various aspects like labor, governance and artificial intelligence when using technology for surveillance purposes. Do listen to the previous episode if you haven't already, where Aditi Suri, a social science researcher at IIHS, spoke about the labor behind the e-platforms and technological interventions all along the way. Essentially, platforms have figured out how to be factories without the need for laws on the factories, right? Like you don't need labor laws. State, if there is an accident in the factory, the state will take care of it. Factory, essentially, the platforms are not responsible for it, and they have essentially mitigated all forms of restrictions that come on a factory or come on an employer by stating themselves that we are just market. Urushi is going to guide us through or on some of the trackers that Tandem Research has been uh, building on essentially tracking how labor workforce has been, what they have been going through post-COVID and also on what forms of surveillance has started kicking in uh, post-COVID. Using tech tools for the surveillance of workers is not new. Uh, we have in fact been seeing it for a couple of years. We've seen it increase over the past couple of years. Um, and it's and some of the large tech companies like the Amazons, for an example, uh, have been developing pretty sophisticated tools to uh, for the surveillance of these workers. Uh, and these have been legitimized so far, or at least rationalized so far, in the language of kind of efficiency and productivity, right? Uh, but what we're going to be seeing now, or what we we were worried about at Tandem Research, was that there is going to be an increase in the use of these surveillance technologies, uh, and it will get justified now in the name of public health. Um, so if earlier there were concerns about privacy, in some sense, the current crisis has legitimated putting privacy as a, se- as a second order concern or even a third order concern and prioritizing the imperatives of public health um, and, of course, productivity and efficiency. So with that kind of concern in mind, we set up at Tandem Research a tracker. So we created this tracker, which was to look at how the kind of things that various companies are introducing Uh, and the kind of surveillance that uh, we see increasing. Essentially, we see a whole bunch of new tech tools in play, right? Some of what we see is around kind of body temperature surveillance, right? So grofers in India, Zomatos, uh, Swiggy, we all see them providing temperature readings of their factory workers and delivery workers to to, uh, deliver drivers to the platform. Similarly, uh, with on-demand food delivery, again, when you have a food delivery, it gives you the temperature of both the chef who made it as well as the delivery worker. Uh, so Zomato has put this in place in India. We also see, and this is something that we saw before COVID as well, but we see it being legitimized now 
uh, or justified in the context of COVID, we see a whole bunch of kind of body movement tracking technologies. So Amazon um, in the US and globally uh, has a pair of patents for a wristband that can pinpoint the location of warehouse employees and track their movements. So earlier while something like this was thought as uh, improving the productivity and efficiency of Amazon and because it raised severe privacy concerns was also quite dubious or uh, was also quite controversial. Now something like body movement tracking allows a company or allows a company to legitimate it by saying that this is necessary for social distancing, right? So if we can see what is the kind of distance that people are maintaining in, in, a, in a warehouse, then we can control the spread of the, of the virus better. Equally, we're seeing a lot of screen monitoring, right? Again, this was not new. We saw this even prior to the pandemic, but because of companies now working from home and work from home certainly being a norm for uh, many types of jobs in the, in the kind of near future, this kind of screen monitoring is something that we expect to see in green as well. Keystroke logging, GPS monitoring, app uh, surveillance. And of course, in India, we're all, I think, pretty familiar with the uh, conversations around Arogya Setu. And again, you know, we know that the new order says that it's not mandatory, but I was just looking at the new lockdown instructions that have just been put out. And it says that employers have to make the best efforts. Uh, how best effort gets interpreted and whose advantages gets interpreted to I think we can all guess that, right? Um, equally, we have, we're seeing the increasing use of uh, automated facial recognition technologies. So recently also, the Technology Development Board, for an example, approved uh, resources for an AI startup that would be able to detect kind of abnormal body temperatures in a, in a crowd. They would also be able to detect, they'd also be using facial recognition technologies to match those to, the, to their temperature readings. A lot of old technologies that were being tested, tried, experimented with are now being legitimated in the context of the pandemic as necessary for maintaining public safety and health. So in some sense, earlier there was a trade-off between, trade between privacy and efficiency. Now that trade-off is being framed as one between privacy and public health and safety, right? And so once the kind of contours of that trade-off change, it's easier for companies to legitimate it. So on one hand, privacy is certainly a concern. Uh, even under our, our, our data protection bill, the kind of requirements for employers, right, to be able to serve, to be able to monitor the activities of their workers, etc. There's, there's a significant amount of provisions that enable them to do this as long as it makes legitimate business sense. Uh, the workplace context also makes kind of conversations around voluntary and mandatory become almost irrelevant. The idea of consent also in many ways becomes irrelevant particularly if you're a low-wage worker um, and your, uh, your survival depends on that job. So the idea of having informed consent, the idea of having choice, the idea of being able to voluntarily sign up or refuse some of these technologies becomes really hard. These kind of technological solutions will end up exasperating the existing inequalities for occupations that are already under a lot of surveillance and occupations that already have little job security, right? I think there are a broader set of concerns as well beyond the privacy conversation and that broad, broader set of concerns could lead to a surveillance-based social stratification of labor force, right? Uh, can you tell us more about it? So we all have been hearing stories about the kind of social credit system in China and some of us have been alarmed about it, some less so. And essentially what it's doing is it's scoring people, right? And I think now what we're going to see is that health becomes part of that score, right? Uh, and once health becomes part of that score and that score is done algorithmically, 
there is a very very high risk that certain portions of the population who already live in vulnerable conditions or already marginalized will be the most disenfranchised by it right uh, if health is now made part of this and in, in, and one of the attributes that you're looking for when you hire a worker is in some sense their propensity to carry a disease then you can quite imagine a situation where the algorithm uh, the kind of indicators it will use are things like high density living conditions the use of public transport so you can imagine many of these kind of uh, inputs that will be used to design these systems and these will invariably end up affecting low wage workers marginalized communities much more and at the same time i think there's a second trend that I, that i want to point to which is something that aditi also mentioned is that i think with the pandemic we're going to see in some sense a growing platformization of the labor market right you break down tasks into you break down jobs into really discrete tasks right you put those tasks on a platform and you allow people or you enable people to pick up tasks at a time right so what does that do the reason companies will want to do this is because it cuts your cost similar similar to what uh, shrinivas was saying right you can have a, you can run the factory but without the fa- actual physical factory you don't need to worry about social protection etc so it allows companies to cut costs right it allows them to improve their efficiency allows them to improve their productivity but what it also does is that it makes it makes workers in some sense dispensable so if i'm not doing my job shrinivas can come and do it instead and if i finish only 1% then anupam can come and finish the next right so what that means is that all of us workers become interchangeable right and as we become interchangeable then that scoring system matters even more right so then you will get someone on your platform that has a higher score or when you want to get that uber ride you won't just look at the number of stars they have based on a reputation you also look at the number their health score so and someone with a low health score risk getting dropped off the platform so these two so on one hand we're going to see increasing worker surveillance but what is going to happen to labor markets in terms of the platformization of these labor markets is in some sense primed for this kind of scoring of workers uh, and so these two factors in combination i think is what poses even a greater risk from the perspective of labor rights and the final point is i think a question around does it work if we're introducing all these new surveillance measures and the reason we're introducing them as we're saying that they're necessary for public health and safety my question is do they work because if they work then we can have a conversation about the trade offs right but i'm not i don't think there's any even enough evidence to support the fact that they work right so if you look at temperature reading which is what has become uh, in some sense the de facto thing that all malls now have uh, uh, everywhere right there's there's someone taking your temperature uh, but we also know that in india 80% of the cases are asymptomatic uh women when they have their periods their body temperature is different so there's a whole bunch of reasons why something like that won't work right uh and flip that around right if you think of contact tracing uh we've very happily kind of embraced automatic contact tracing but contact tracing is much more than knowing where each person has been right manual contact tracing normally comes with giving people advice it gives guidance uh it provides a much more broader system of support So if you have tech that is not working to fulfill your public health objectives and is undermining labor rights then we have a huge problem and i think what happens is that unfortunately we are being presented only technological solutions right but those technological solutions are not often framing the problem correctly so if for an example instead of automatic contact tracing and people having to have the arogya setu app and thermal scanning what if you just hire a huge bunch of manual contact tracers and every company has to do that right This might be a crass example but the point is that we have to find ways that boost employment that protect public health that boost labor rights and these things happen have to happen in tandem and that is where innovation needs to go right i mean i find most of the 
innovation currently super lazy right we are not innovating to try and bring these things together we're in some sense innovating to pull them further apart so if that if that trend continues i, I would say that it's going to be particularly worrisome for workers and particularly for low wage workers so in some ways what you essentially documented is that platforms are increasingly collecting data but nobody knows if this data will be helpful enough or will it harm some of the employees right there are no more employees but their executive partners essentially and these people are expendable right like we all can be fired someday and it could be replaced by a robot or an ai which can potentially build it a drone or it could be a driverless car or any of this and i think the platforms are essentially collecting all of this data to train these systems to essentially assuming that at some point of time in future that you would need to build robots uh, to remove all the workforce which demands social security which demands labor rights and the only way you can build some of these automation systems is that you have huge amounts of data which you need to gather and you need to gather them from humans from the labor workforce rather than talking just about uh, the bill and the other models that are there i think uh, we have to try to understand kind of the context where we want these new laws and new bills to and uh, to come up and how they're going to work so i'll give you the example i was speaking to a ceo of a platform a hyper local platform and i said you know if you were to ask the government for anything what would you want from them and he said if the government could give me a credit score or a sense of what the credit rating of uh, an inf- who's otherwise an informal worker was otherwise a person who has you know worked and not taken formal loans who hasn't been in the form, formal banking system who you can't really uh, understand through a number whether they've been able to take loans and pay back loans on time or how they've been or how financially trustworthy they are and he said i would really want that from the government because right now we're creating that uh, metric and that understanding for ourselves as a company so they they have certain processes at play that that create that metric for them now if you think about the implication of what that one number is whether it comes from the government or whether it comes from the company uh you know you're you're enforcing a sense and this is true some of the points that Rubishi was making earlier about the kind of metrics that are play you're enforcing uh, a logic um of the formal banking system of formal economic interactions and transactions that have been missing in the generation in several generations of this person's life and life world so uh it's actually kind of make, making a very blanket uh, assessment of what that person is and then how that kind of data then eventually gets used stored who has access to it whether there any rights over it where that goes is is to me you know a very is a third level third order question at present majority of indian labor is employed in informal sectors such as agriculture and associated activities factory workers construction labor this labor will take a period to merge with tech roughly are we seeing faster timelines in post covid to merge it and will require a prior democratic human frame before implementation i'm just asking this if you'd like to take that and also talk a little about the models that are there i think the issue there's two issues that arise i think which also deserve attention one is a uh, regulatory capacity right so you can have the best data protection framework but if you don't have sufficient regulatory capacity uh, that data protection framework is not going to be able to deliver what you intended to deliver and particularly for those who need it the most right which is often the ones who have the least amount of power the least amount of agency who are already marginalized so i think both things have to go hand in hand and why the work context is different if you think of the data protection and privacy angle is because i mean like i was saying earlier that voluntary mandatory uh, option is is really rendered kind of irrelevant right 
uh, I mean, if you are a low wage worker and you need that income to be able to feed your family, you, uh, that that's a meaningless choice, right? So I think both things have to be taken into account when we're thinking of frameworks. I think the point about you know a majority of the inform of Indian labor being in employed in informal sectors is agriculture and associated activities. I mean, I think a strange thing is likely to happen, right? On one hand, I think we will see more and more work pushed into the informal sector because that allows companies to kind of watch their bottom line, right? So uh, we're already, for an example, seeing in India an increase in contractual work, even within the government sector, right? We're seeing a huge increase in contractual work. So we will see in some sense that shift towards informality happen even in traditional sectors. But at the same time, we will see the standardization of that informal informality attempted through tech, right? And so that means then two things, right? It means that, that standardization, and it could go both ways, right? That standardization could have the impact of improving worker rights. Maybe it, in, it visibilizes what is already happening to workers. It provides certain benchmarks. It provides certain frameworks. Aditi has already done a lot of work on this in the context of ride sharing, right? What that standardization means. Uh, but it could equally mean that, you know, on one hand, you're pushing workers into the informal sector where they lack social protection, but by using these tech tools for their monitoring, you're actually increasing uh, their vulnerability and their surveillance. So, I mean, maybe that's a roundabout way to answer your question, Abhishek. But I think, yes, we will see we will see more and more tech tools being used, but that's not necessarily going to be making them come into the formal sector. That's in some sense just to organize the informal sector better. I think there is an assumption pre-baked in there, which is that we need technology. I think that question of whether we need platforms, whether we need technology, that should first come from communities, right? So we need to have communities in charge of identifying what their problems are and then therefore identifying what the appropriate solutions are. Platforms might be one of those solutions, but they may not be the solution also, right? So I think and that, that kind of goes to the core of this idea of technological solutionism, that our problems are framed, we, are, we frame our problems in a way that they are amendable to a technological solution. Uh, but that is where I think we need to first take a step back and try and identify or frame our problems in consultation with communities that reflects their needs. And if technology and a platform is one of the answers, then that's great. And if it's not, then that's also fine. What's the role of AI in surveillance and data collection? Look out for the next episode where Dr. Anupam Guha from the Center for Policy Studies at IIT Bombay discusses what e-platforms do with the data and AI. Do listen to the previous episode where Aditi Suri talks about the people who are working to make our e-platforms function smoothly along with the technological interventions all along the way. Thank you for listening to this episode of Cyber Democracy. You can listen and subscribe to the show on our website sunoindia.in or any podcast app of your choice. 